Blog Talk Radio. Allah Akbar Allah Akbar. The New African Broadcast speaks to the free thinking movement that we see emerging in the minds of today's black youth of America. African youths must be re-educated to the scientific reasoning found in natural law if this movement is to reach its full potential. Inshallah, the African American will break free of non-scientific and tribal thinking paradigms that fail to counter immoral behavior as well as limit solid economic progress in African American communities. Assalamu alaikum. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi. Namaduhu wa nasta'inahu wa nasta'firuhu wa na'uruhu bilahi min shururi anfasina ma'asaya'ati malina. Wa ashadu an la ilahi illallahu wa ahadu la sharika lahu. Wa ashadu anna muhammadin abduhu wa suhulu. Ama'abad. Assalamu alaikum. Brothers, sisters, and friends, I'd like to speak to you today for a short period of time to address what I still see as a sort of cloud or mist of mythology, mysticism of air that is still being breathed by the many in African-American communities. In a time where we are witnessing continuing advances in travel, communication, and in medicine, one would have thought that in the year 2020, most people, and particularly young people, would have developed a more rational mind capable of distinguishing myths and fairy tale languages found in many systems of knowledge circulating through our circles. I think such tendencies for our people to want to believe in myth or the supernatural is the remnant influences of African tribal practices and from the teachings of the Christian religion that we as a people was forced to accept during slavery times. Yet today, the media, contemporary music, and even the church and other religious organizations are doing a pretty good job of reinforcing such superstitious and mythological cultural belief systems. I think by addressing one particular subject matter on myth found in religion, we should be able to address many other similar ideals and beliefs as well. It is not always necessary to determine the origins of a myth, but rather to see if the myth, when examined under the limits of natural law, would withstand the test of science, reason, and common sense. Natural law demands that you use the scientific method of problem solving or some other rational, sequential paradigm. So I'm going to discuss briefly the basic tenets of natural law, but before I proceed to do so, 
I would like to read five short verses from Surah 98 or chapter 98 from the Holy Quran called Surat Albanyana. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Lem yakunil lazina kafarum min alhil kitabi wal musrikina mufakina hataahi tatayal humul bayyana Rasulun minallahi yatlu suhufam mutahara fi hai kutubun kayama Wama tafaraka lazina utu kitaba illa min biadi maja al humul bayyana wama umiru illa lil abdullaha muklasina lahudina hunafa awa yukimas sahalata wa yutus zakata Wazalaka dinu gayama. Those who reject faith among the people of the book and among the polytheists were not going to depart from their ways until there should come to them clear evidence. An apostle from Allah Rehearsing scriptures kept pure and holy, wherein are laws or decrees right and straight. Nor did the people of the book make schisms until after there came to them clear evidence. And they have been commanded no more than this to worship Allah, offering him sincere devotion, being true in faith, to establish regular prayer, and to practice regular charity. And that is the religion, or that is religion, right and straight. There are three fundamental parameters that define the universe that man lives in. Matter, space, and time. Matter is anything that has mass and occupies space. Space is that which matter does not or cannot occupy. We can determine the volume, the area, or distance around some particular space, but understand that space has no quantifiable mass. Without matter, you cannot define space. Without space, you cannot define matter. Professor, you mentioned space is that, but... What is that? In all truth, I haven't the foggiest idea. In our universal reality, 
Matter and space always have to be examined together, for without each other's presence, neither would have any definable meaning in our physical environment. Time is a system of measurement tied to matter and space, yet it has no physical material existence. You can't see time. You can't taste time. Can you feel time? Time can be defined as the measure of the beginning and ending of any event of matter. The very nature of time is embedded in matter, and man over many tens of thousands of years stumbled upon it by discovery. Time is used by man to help him define the activity of matter within and throughout the universe. Within our universe, there are five known forces which describe and define the activity of matter. These forces are the strong nuclear forces, the forces that hold the subatomic particles together in the atom, the weak nuclear forces, the forces that are responsible for the radioactive decay of the atoms, the force of electricity, the force of magnetism, and the force of gravity. From observing the activity of these forces in our environment and from numerous laboratory experiments, man over time has developed mathematical relationships that illustrate the connections between these five forces and our material universe. These relationships between the parameters of our universe and the forces that act within establish the basis for what man has defined as natural law. Natural law can be defined as pre-existing conditions or systems, events or occurrences found inherently in the universe that is binding and fixed, meaning it cannot be changed and is not caused by the hand or the influence of mankind. Natural law is fixed in our universe, and all material reality is defined by it. It is natural law that will always determine the now, the then, and the there of the activity of matter in our universe. Here are examples of natural laws. All living things are born out of matter. All living things will die back into matter. All living things require energy to sustain life and to reproduce life. All free-falling objects on the earth accelerate at the downward rate of 9.8 meters per second squared. All light travels at a speed of 186,000 miles per second.
an observed phenomenon that seems to operate in and with natural law is something called the law of equality or equilibrium. The law of equality states that for every observed natural condition, there must be an equal but opposite condition. If we find things in our environment that are naturally hot, we will find similar things in the environment that are naturally cold. If there is light, there must also exist dark. If we find positive forces in nature, then there should also exist negative forces in nature. In our universe, the activity of matter and time may change invariably, but the underlying laws will always be constant. Dear people, this is what man has come to define or come to understand as natural law. When we examine the scriptures of many different religions around the world, we find that there exists in these scriptures the mentioning of a being, a God, a creator who is eternal, absolute, has no beginning or ending, always existing before matter, space, and time. He has created everything, the heaven and the earth and everything between. His knowledge and dominion encompasses all. Nothing escapes his wisdom or his vision, and there is nothing likened to him. For the next few moments, I would like for you to really reflect on what I just said. Take some time and think. Dear people, all things in our universe are governed by the rule of natural law. Matter acts on matter through space and time under the limits of the forces that act within our universe. If there is a being, a creator, a God who exists before all things came to exist and who created all things, and this would include even the darkness, then any concept, belief, or argument that suggests that manifestations of natural law could ever touch or contain this one would be a non-cynical argument with no defined answer. In other words, a mathematical expression is undefined when no matter how you work the problem, the answer has no meaning, suggesting that a thing exists before matter, space, and time implies that this being is everlasting. Saying that a thing is everlasting implies that death could never reach it. In the Bible, there is a story concerning the crucifixion of Jesus the Christ a man considered by many around the world as a messenger of God, while others believe Jesus was God in man. 
Many claim the crucifixion of Jesus is symbolic, an allegory which hides a deeper, more abstract meaning, while fundamental Christian adherents believe the crucifixion story literally, word for word. But can't you see the paradox here? If a creator has the power to bring matter, space, and time into existence, would not this mean that the creator existed before matter? If this is true, then how can matter and time overrun into his existence? Death, which is a product of natural law, could never overrun the realm of the God, because matter and time is an unneeded factor for the God's existence. Of course, this line of reasoning would only hold true if you believe that God, the creator, exists before matter and time. A birth, a life, and a death are all expressions of the activity of matter under the restrictions of natural law. When applied to a supreme being that is believed to live eternally, such expressions of life and death will have no meaning because you cannot assign a rational interpretation that will satisfy a valid inquiry, meaning never born, meaning never death, and therefore no life, the results being undefined. For if the creator failed to exist for three days or three nanoseconds or just one picosecond, then such an event will invalidate the core axioms found in the Bible that God exists eternally. Thus matter would have overcome the very being that created it. Another mathematical expression where no rational interpretation that would be valid could be assigned. You know what any number divided by zero equals? Maybe the people mentioned in the biblical stories did see someone die on a cross at Calvary that day, but it was not the creator of all things. How can you argue that the God in Jesus sacrificed his life to atone for the sinful nature of man when in truth the God has no life to sacrifice? Don't confuse the words lives and life. Life is the record of a series of events over a period of time while something lives. The fact that something has a life implies it will ultimately have a death. Live means just what it says. Lives. At best, you could contemplate that such a supreme being devised a scenario to fake a death and resurrection to influence mankind to accept and follow the way of a certain fate. Yet even accepting such a scenario does not change the end that this display of death and resurrection only amounted to a dog and pony show, being a sham, a fake, a trick on mankind. For no death truly occurred because such a being could never die. And this would hold true whether you personally believe that the God came in the flesh of a man or in the flesh of a gnat.
So now the God of the Bible is not only a fake, but also a liar. Furthermore, why has no one ever asked the question, why come as a man? Why not as a woman? Now fast forward today. You see the problem that we have? And by the way, who created this sinful nature in man that has to now be atoned for in the first place? I thought the creator was all wise, all knowing, all seeing. I thought the scriptures in the Old Testament said that God made everything good and perfect. Did not the almighty wise God mentioned in the Old Testament of the Bible know what he was doing when he first put his plan of creation in motion? Was the sinful nature of man inherited from the flesh of Adam so out of control that any reconciliation in man is now beyond the realm of God? What kind of all-knowing, all-seeing God is this? Just look at what he did. Tied an albatross of sin around the neck of the children of Adam for generations to come because he did not have the capacity to foresee nor correct the flaws and defects that he created in Adam originally. The fact that the God of this Bible later sent himself to earth in the form of a man appearing to die on the cross to atone for man's future sin is a confession to mankind that he made a mistake, an error. It had to be an error, for if creating man's sinful flesh was always in the plan of God, then why are you punishing Adam's offspring for their weak moral nature? The God of the Bible is saying that because of man's sinful flesh, man does not have the moral strength in his soul to reject sin on his own. If there was something creepy with human flesh, you should have found something else to make Adam. You to God. And then this atonement wasn't even done unconditionally, for it came with conditions. Unless you believe and accept that Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood to atone for your sins, you cannot enter the kingdom of paradise. First, you tied original sin around the generations of man's neck. Didn't even give them a chance to get it right. Then you threaten to punish them if they don't accept some freakish deviations from natural law. The fact that the God of the Bible did not have the wisdom to foresee that he created a defect in the flesh of the original man and that this defect would lead to some irreversible sin in the generations of man to come, nor even have the knowledge to abrogate this error, raises serious questions. Even more so, if a creator has no beginning and no ending, then how could this supreme being fall victim to the forces of death, a crucifixion, when he is believed to exist before time and matter? And does it even make sense 
that an all-wise, all-knowing, all-seeing being could even design an error in the plan of his creation in the first place? Such stories about the God found in the Bible is to be rejected based on common sense reasons alone. If God is to be accepted as all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful, absolute being, then the God would have to be completely self-sustaining outside of physical matter, space, and time, not affected by natural law. No death could touch him, nor could slumber or the passing of time overtake him. It is not a question of whether one believes that the God has the power to do whatever supernatural thing he may desire whenever he pleases, wherever he pleases. But rather the question is that if God's authority and wisdom and vision and plan for his creation is so damn perfect and without defect or flaw, then no supernatural deviations from the order of natural law should even be necessary. Either the God that you believe in is all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful, without flaw or defect, with sole dominion over the universe, or the God that you pray to is occasionally obtuse. You either have one or the other. You can't have both. According to natural law, two points of mass can never occupy the same space Simultaneously, death and life can never occupy a point of mass in space at the same time. I strongly advise those persons who carry the burdens of myth to revisit their religious scriptures and using common sense and reason, look for more rational and practical meanings that are hidden in the language of your religious texts. By removing the burden of myth and superstition from the human psyche, a freer, more successful, higher quality of life for man can be achieved. Yet I will confess that in spite of all the science, logic, and reasoning that one may use in his attempts to better understand the God, the creator, in truth, the essence of man's beliefs will always rest solely on the strength of his faith. Never did a people fall into schisms until after there came to them clear evidence. Now I just gave you evidence to clear up your schisms. Now snap out of your stupor and stop thinking man is God. I thank Allah, the all-knowing, the all-wise, the true God, whose vision is complete, the God with no defect in his wisdom. I thank him for sending to mankind Prophet Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, for bringing this glorious book, the Holy Quran, in completion and in purity, and for raising up 
In our day and time, the great imam, the late Warthu D. Muhammad, for surely without Allah's blessing and guidance, we would be at loss. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. La ilaha illallah. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Walillah alham. Allahu Akbar kabira. Walhamdulillahi kathira. La ilaha illallah. Peace be on you. Assalamu alaikum.